All right, well, it's going to be good for us to get our Bibles off the shelf as uh, we continue in the series looking at an overview of the Scripture, uh, which I invite you to grab a Bible off the pew rack if you don't have one of your own here in the West Auditorium, or there's some uh, in the East Auditorium with some folks walking around, Lovington, uh, as well as online, wherever you're at. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. And uh, if you are newer in any of those locations, my name is Brian. Uh, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors and looking at God's word with you here today. And um, just as a, a, a throwback to that announcement video you just saw, um, I smelled Jonathan after that water gun incident. It was awful. Like, I don't know where Morgan found that gun with the water still in it, but ugh. so anyway. So as a, actually another point of humor uh, that uh, took place this past week, for me, uh, for those of you who don't know my story uh, real well, I'm actually uh, originally from uh, South Carolina where uh, my, I'm the oldest of uh, three brothers and my two brothers, my parents uh, still hail from, I'm the only de facto to the Midwest. And so uh, my brothers and I were on a group text thread this past week trying to make some plans. And as uh, you've probably experienced uh, about halfway through trying to make plans on text, you realize let's just pick up the phone and call one another. Yes. And so we decide we're going to just get on the phone, like a conference call type deal that afternoon, to which my brother, my youngest brother, responds to that text thread saying about getting on the phone that afternoon. He says, that's fine, but it's going to eat up my daytime minutes. My free nights and weekends start at 9 p.m. Now, some of you get that joke, um, which, was, which, which was pretty good. But uh, in unfairness to my youngest brother, neither myself nor my other brother uh, responded to that text uh, appropriately, you know, letting him know it was funny. We didn't give him an LOL or a little laughing, crying emoji to say, hey, that, that was good, bud. Uh, so we just left him hanging, to which he then succumbed to responding to his own text to explain his own joke, saying, quote, that's a joke referring to cell phone plans in 2005. And so we've been there, right? There's nothing worse, uh, nothing that takes the wind out of your joke or the wind out of you than having to explain a joke. Uh, the uh, author of the earliest, uh, t- earliest, uh, early 20th century, uh, E.B. White, he puts it this way. He says, humor, it can be dissected as a frog, but... The thing dies in the process. And the innards are discouraging to any but the pure scientific mind. Well, we've been in this series where we've taken our Bibles off the shelf with this uh, goal to give us an overview of what's happening in the big story of Scripture that we might be able to find our own story within God's story. And what we're at in the point in the story is really about halfway through uh, the Bible where we actually, you could say, push pause on the story, push pause on the narrative continuing through time and get into a section of books called the, um, the, uh, the poetical books or wisdom literature of Job. Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and I'm forgetting one. Proverbs? I think Proverbs is the fifth one, yeah. And if I already said it, oh well. Um, So yeah, so those are the five poetical books. And what these books really provide for us, you could say, rather than moving the story along, actually give us, uh, you could say, a peek inside the human's that were actually living during those times who experienced those stories. You could say that rather than continue to look at the forest, as that's been our goal, to kind of get a forest, uh, 30,000 foot view of the story of scripture, this is where we take a break and look at the individual trees. Uh, the individual stories of those who, uh, in the midst of these Bible times, who loved and lost and hurt and sinned and were forgiven and felt like God was nowhere to be found and at times God uh, found them at just the right 
moment. It's really the flesh and blood of the story that we've been getting at. And in a similar way to humor, these books, they can be dissected and explained as a frog, but we can risk killing the thing in the process. And that these books in particular, you could say more so than to be explained, are most meant to be experienced. They're to be experienced in understanding the people of God as how it is that they engage with the presence of God in the midst of what was going on in their lives. And so that's what our aim is here today. We're gonna look specifically at the book of Psalms uh, that, uh, that we want to really take our time here some this morning rather than just explain and dissect the Psalms Uh, We wanna take some time in the context of our service, which we already have, and we will do some more, to really experience them the way that they were designed to, as a a place to encounter the presence of God. And so we're gonna do that, we're gonna experience those together right after I explain them for just a little bit, okay? And so, the book of Psalms, it has uh, been understood sometimes as uh, Israel's hymn book or song book, which is a way to understand it, but really more accurately, the book of Psalms is a collection of prayers. Uh, They are prayers that were prayed by the people of God to experience the presence of God in the midst of the times that they lived in. And these prayers, they're really resources for us for when you could say maybe we don't have the words to pray or maybe don't feel comfortable or confident with the words because of what we're going through. And we have these psalms, these words that reflect maybe in someone else's language, the word of God, the language we're trying to come up with. And so we can pray these psalms, pray these prayers verbatim, uh, or we can use them as a maybe a launch pad as the kind of... Um, you know, thematic understandings of the kinds of things that we can get pretty honest with God in understanding who he is. And you'll see it. It's all throughout this. People getting really honest uh, about their hurts and their struggles and wondering where God is in the middle of all these things, but ultimately pointing to who God is, what he is up to, what he has done, and what he will do in the future. And so these are the prayers that are for us as well. And so as you look at these Psalms and you flip through them, uh, and maybe you have before, it it seems like they are just a, you could say there's 150 of them. Uh, It seems like they're just kind of randomly put all over the place as poems and things that we can use. But to just conclude that just they're in a random order would be to miss actually the goal of these 150 Psalms. And that actually the intent and the way that they're very intentionally structured and designed is actually a real nod to what we've been trying to do here through this series. And that the 150 Psalms, actually, they are a mirror. They are a reflection of the entire story of the scriptures. And so it's neat to see as we go from Psalm 1 to 150 that it actually is in step with the story of, uh, of the scriptures. So it's a, it's a nice compliment to what we're trying to do. So what I wanna do is kind of walk you through how that works and so that we can both, again, find ourselves in the heart of God's story through the heart of the people who lived during those times. And so... The way they're broken up is into five different books. And uh, you could say um, kind of categories that really step us through the story of of scripture with the first two being uh, really an introduction to all the Psalms and then the last five uh, chapters being uh, really this this resounding God is still faithful, God is gonna be faithful as a conclusion to understand all of what the story of scripture and the story of our lives are moving toward, okay? And so we're gonna step through this uh, here briefly, starting with Psalm chapter one that uh, is an introduction to the whole Psalm book and uh, the word of the Lord, it reads it this way. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but instead whose delight 
is in the law or the word of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. It says that this person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Well, not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What we see happening in this very first Psalm is actually a reflection of the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first chapter in Genesis where we go back to uh, creation itself. And what we could say is this uh, garden temple, this perfect place for the people of God, Adam and Eve at that time, to meet with the presence of God. And so we're going to see this theme, this meeting place uh, carried throughout the Psalms. Uh, and, that's, and here's what a temple basically is in various formats throughout the scriptures. A temple is a place for the people of God to meet with the presence of God. That's what a temple is. It is always a place for the people of God to meet with the presence of God. So we have our very first temple, this perfect garden of Eden, uh, until, of course, sin spoils it all. But this psalm is reflecting on that original setting, talking about a tree, like the tree of life being planted in the river of life, uh, that this perfect understanding of God's presence in creation and his goodness to us, uh, that we can still tap into that when it says that our attention is on God's law, on his word and his ways. As it says in verse two, for those of us who we delight in, that we you really meditate or, or really give everything we can day or night to give our attention and energy to the word of the Lord, that if that's the kind of life we're leading, verse three, then you're gonna live a life that's like a tree, like the, like the, the, um, the tree in the original garden. Uh, it planted in streams of water, a life that yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, that whatever you do in this kind of life will prosper Verse one, blessed is this type of person. And so we understand that. We know that pursuing God's word and ways is the best way that God has laid for our lives. But we also recognize that we're gonna fail at this. Uh, in fact, we're gonna fail a lot at getting this right. And so Psalm two gives us the hope of what we have to look forward to in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of our failings, because Jesus is the one who's going to forgive us regularly for our failings at what Psalm chapter one says. And Jesus is gonna come, so this is prophetic about the future. He's gonna come of God. God through the line of King David. It says it this way in Psalm 2. God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, and so blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so here we've got these first two chapters who paint this way of pursuing God through his word and where we fail at that. He gives us Jesus Christ who forgives us and saves us from all our failings in that. And then you have that, really these themes played out in the rest of the Psalms as it also shares the narrative of what's happening in the scripture. So walking through those five big books, and maybe you've seen that as you flip through the Psalms, these Roman numerals, book one, two, three, four, and five. And so books one and two, which represent Psalms one through 72, those two books really represent the story of King David, his rise uh, to kingship and really this direction toward him wanting to create a new temple, a temple at Jerusalem, like the grand poopa of all temples, of all meeting places with God, where uh, he doesn't get to build that, but his son 
Solomon does. And so we've got the garden temple at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and then we've got God's people going into slavery in Egypt, and then Moses rescues his people, to which God establishes a tabernacle, this kind of tent, this uh, traveling temple, if you will, where the people of God can meet with the presence of God. And now we fast forward to King David and his son Solomon, who will build that Jerusalem temple. And so that's the hope and the direction they want this beautiful, perfect meeting place uh, for the people of God to meet with the presence of God to which they see come to fruition. And then over the next couple of hundred years, we see in book three, the fall of all of that. We see God's people, unfortunately, rejecting the presence of God uh, and falling away from his word and his ways. And as a result, the consequence of that is destruction. Uh, Their temple is destroyed. Uh, In 586, uh, Babylon comes in, uh, destroys almost all the people of God, destroys their temple, and those who uh, remain a remnant, they're carted off, they're exiled to Babylon, where this, and I'm gonna push pause on that story a little bit, this is where we understand the original audience of what the Psalms were intended for. That in that third book, where everything that the people of God knew was no longer, they had no home, they had no temple, they had no uh, place for the people of God to be with the presence of God is where the book of Psalms comes into play. And that its original design was for in the Babylonian exile for the people of God to when they didn't have a physical place to meet with God, that the book of Psalms, its design was to be not a physical temple, but a, you could say a literary temple that the book of Psalms were designed to be a literary temple, a place that the people of God could go regardless of where they were at, lost from home, lost from everything new, a place for the people of God to always meet with the presence of God. The book of Psalms, a literary temple, really designed for exiles, those who feel lost and um, you could say maybe exiled from everything they knew. And that story, that reality still continues as a truth for us, as a place for us, that when we feel in our lives that we are exiled, that we are lost from what we know, that we can trust God's word and we're planting ourselves in it as a literary temple to meet with God. And this understanding that we are exiles uh, is, is, is a biblical one. We'll see later in the New Testament that that's how we're described. It says it this way in Philippians 3.20. The apostle Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. Meaning we are, we are ultimately belong in a different world than the one that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. Jesus said, you are uh, not of this world, meaning you are of heaven, you are uh, of, of God's world, but you are in this world. You're not of this world, but you currently live in this world. And Peter would later say it this way, he says, we live here as foreigners and exiles. That we are foreigners and exiles. And so, If you would say that there are times and seasons in your life where things have your attention or catch you by surprise, where you just find yourself feeling everything that seems good and right and true is so far from me in my life, then that is to be expected. Because you are, we are, as the people of God, we are exiles. We ultimately are not right where we're ultimately supposed to be. And it's in those moments that we are reminded that we can dig back into who God is and what he says in his word, that we can experience the presence of God and the people as the people of God through his word, specifically through the Psalms, as we reconcile what God is up to, even in the midst of feeling lost, feeling 
exiled, feeling not quite right in this place we call earth. And so maybe for you, it's, it's not a real stretch to, to tap into where you feel uh, a little displaced or a little exiled. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's very, very similar uh, in the sense that maybe you, like me, you come from somewhere else. Uh, your home home would be some other place other than Decatur, other than central Illinois. And whether maybe through college or a job uh, or some uh, family circumstance, you feel uh, this, that you're here, but it's, it's a little disorienting. It's, uh, you feel a little displaced, a little exiled from what everything it is that you're used to. And so maybe you're processing through that. Uh, so maybe it's that that's brought you here. Maybe uh, you've lost a job that you feel uh, a little lost in what's next. Or I've had plenty of conversations with friends who are in a job, but feel lost within that setting. Like they don't feel like they belong or this is where that God wants to have them. And they're trying to figure out what this means for both now and in the future. Maybe you're in a season of life where you've been recently retired and it's not all that you thought and hoped it was going to be and you feel actually backwards about it, like a little little lost, um, a little out of place in that. Maybe it's a season of loss where you've lost someone, uh, a loved one here in recent years and you're trying to figure out a new normal without them. Maybe it's the loss of a marriage. Uh, Maybe it's one of those seasons of marriage where you are in your marriage but you feel maybe a little lost from one another and you're trying to find your way together through that. You know, students in the room, uh, you know, you're at the seasons of life where you're kind of figuring out what your friend groups are up to and uh, maybe you were part of a particular group and then uh, all of a sudden this year, like you feel exiled from the group or maybe uh, it's the loss of a close friend in the midst of that. Maybe it's your physical health that has completely got you kind of in this out of body, not your body experience because of an injury or a diagnosis. Uh, Or maybe it's something going on in your own um, mental health that doesn't seem to have you feeling like you're supposed to be who you are. Uh, Maybe it's anxiety or uh, anxious thoughts about the thought of loss or the thought of what could be. There's so much that can have us feeling at any given time, recognizing the reality that there's something about this place that we don't belong. And that there's a hope and a reality that that's okay because it's in those spaces that we are drawn to the hope and the faith that we have in where we should be. And that is rooted in that river of life, rooted in God's word who actually came as the word in Jesus Christ to be that hope, uh, to be that direction in the midst of where we feel directionless as we are exiled and lost in whatever circumstance or situation that we find ourselves while in this world. And so, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. We looked at this last week. Pastor Wayne reminds us that in the midst of this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me in all this. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way, if there's anything off in me. And then, so that in discovering that exile, discovering that loss, we can then be led in his way, in the way of everlasting, in the way of everlasting. And so it's that Psalm that falls in our final uh, two books, books four and five, that we see that the full arc of God's story, that yes, it starts off good and the rise of King David and the hope of a temple, but then the temple's destroyed. But then God's people, while in exile, had in those last two books, really the hope, I think it's gonna come on the screen, here it is, yeah, the hope that, that, that God's gonna make all things new. They were looking forward to the day of the Messiah coming, of a new temple, and then ultimately, as we still do as well, Jesus' second coming, well, he will make all things new and all things right, and we will no longer be exiled, but we will be home again with Jesus the way it was 
was originally designed and the way it will culminate. And so what's so cool about the book of Psalms as it concludes uh, is that in many ways it concludes with a continuation, with this to be continued of all that we have to look forward to and have a glimpse of even now with Jesus at work in our lives as we pray regularly around here. Lord, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that your will, your ways, your word would come to fruition the way that we know it perfectly does in heaven at home. We pray, God, that that would come to earth, that that we would see that, see you at work, just as it is in heaven right here on earth. That is the hope we have in these final Psalms. And I just wanna read one more to you. Psalm 121 from those final two books. Uh, there was, I was going through my notes and just looking at all that I'd highlighted in the last book, four and five, and there's a lot to say, but this one really wraps up this full story of understanding what we do in the midst of feeling lost, exiled, and where our hope comes from. So you can follow along, Psalm 121, or you might just wanna maybe close your eyes and be hearers of the word of the Lord here today as you take in Psalm 121, and we experience, not just explain, what God wants for us. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord, he watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And so the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. It is the Lord that will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Amen. the experience of God beyond just explaining God. That's how we wanna conclude our time here today. That as we move uh, into something we practice regularly here, communion, uh, we wanna invite you to experience uh, communion as we experience the Psalms together. And so Psalm 103 is gonna be our guide through this. You'll see uh, a passage on the screen as uh, the emblems are passed for you to reflect on. And then uh, we're gonna experience it as uh, we have a couple of readers really uh, lead us through both the text and some understanding of what's taking place in that. And as we pause and maybe just turn off the automatic a little bit, the the Pavlovian response of get the bread, get the cup, and do what we always do, just to slow it down. And if you're new with us, good news, you'll probably do better than the rest of us when we change something up, because it's the only way you'll now know. Um, But today, as the the emblems are passed, what you'll notice is uh, that the cups, there'll be two cups stacked one on top of another. Go ahead and just take both of those out. Uh, In one is the bread, and the other uh, is the juice. And we're just going to ask that you hold those as we lead you through this psalm, and we're gonna invite all of us in community, as a church, in community to participate in communion together. And so you can take those and just hold those as it's passed, reflect on the passage. And then as uh, we experience Psalm 103 together, there is a refrain that's in that psalm that we're gonna participate in with the readers where it says, praise the Lord, O my soul. That in the hearing of what we're understanding about what God wants to do in our exiled state, that his presence here is nevertheless. And so we can praise the Lord, O my soul. And so we're gonna, we're gonna recite that together. And so we'll walk you through it. Um, I'm gonna pray for us. 
And again, just take uh, the cups, hold them, and we'll lead you to when to take it together. And then when you're done, there's some little uh, cup holders, if you will, in the back of your pew and in the East Auditorium, you can just set them on the floor as we participate. And remember Jesus' sacrifice that makes all this possible uh, to remember him together. And so you don't have to be a member here at First Christian. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who came and died, who broken body and shed blood uh, on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin and now gives us the gift of a new life through his resurrection. If that's where you're at, then we invite you to celebrate and to worship and remember him with us. So let me pray for us as we celebrate together. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we allow your word uh, to be mere cognitive information Uh, with a mental agreement that never gets past uh, that reality, that we just live in explaining and dissecting. God, forgive us when we don't step past that into our hearts and our lives to experience what you have for us and to be a light to that experience for others who don't know you. So Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, not on our own, we ask that you would remind us and wake us up to your presence, your 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 goodness in the midst of things that might not be going so good for us, that you are still good and that we can trust you and in faith because you went as far as to send your son, Um, that when we felt displaced, you displaced your son among us who would give his life so that we could be given the gift of a new life through his broken body and shed blood, which we remember together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
Praise, Praise the, the Lord, Lord, O my soul. The Lord, oh, sorry. David wrote this psalm with words of the deepest soul-filled praise. We give our God thanks for all he has done so that we don't forget his goodness and his majesty. If we don't give him thanks and praise, we will forget. So we praise him with everything that is within us. The Lord forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise, Praise the, the Lord, Lord, O my soul. Eagles undergo the molting process late in their lives because over time their wings become heavy with dirt and oil, their beaks and talons start to break, and their eyesight becomes weak. As their feathers are shed or plucked out, they transform into birds that are stronger, fitter, and sharper than before. This Psalm points out that as God forgives, heals, redeems, and satisfies us, which can often be a painful process, as is the case with the eagles as they undergo transformation. We are renewed and are stronger than we were before. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Praise, Praise the Lord, O my soul. God spoke these words about himself to Moses at Mount Sinai. We can read about it in Exodus 34. God's presence in the form of a cloud came down and spoke with Moses all the commands of the covenant for the nation of Israel. God had a special relationship with Moses. He spoke to him as one would with a friend. And then Moses made the ways of God known to the people. So the psalmist here is reminding Israel and us that just as God was compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love to the people during the time of Moses, so he continues to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love to us today. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or pay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Praise, Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. David uses three words to describe sin in this section. Sins, iniquities, and transgressions. Sin means to miss the mark. It's like shooting an arrow at a target and not only missing the bullseye, but missing the target altogether. Iniquity means to bend, twist, or distort. It's taking God's laws and twisting or distorting what he originally intended for us to hear and to do. Transgressions are acts of willful disobedience. They are done specifically to spite God. This Psalm teaches us that in His great love for us, God removes our transgressions, those spiteful acts from us, 
He doesn't repay us according to how we've bent and twisted His Word. And He doesn't treat us as we deserve for missing the mark of that to which He has called us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with his children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Praise the Lord, O my soul. In this section, we remember that we were formed from dust. Our lives are like grass like flowers who bloom, but then the winds come and sweep them away. And no one remembers that they were there in the first place. Not a perspective we love to hear, and it definitely brings humility. Even in our finite humanity, God's love for us is described as from everlasting to everlasting. God does expect something of us though. He has called us to fear Him, to keep His covenant, and to be obedient. The covenant is the promise, the agreement made between God and His people all the way back in the book of Genesis when God said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. These are the things I will do for you to bless you and give you land and make your name great. And this is how I expect you to live your lives, holy, different from the lives of those in the nations that surround you. You've been holding... um, bread and a cup in your hands, symbols of how Jesus was the fulfillment of this covenant agreement. We take communion each week in order to be reminded of what God has done for us so that we can live in obedience to God's commands. We're going to take the bread and the cup in unison this morning as a group of people who fear the Lord, who remember His covenant, and who obey His precepts. If you'll take your bread. Let's take the bread as a reminder that in Jesus, God provides for all of our needs and God gives and sustains our lives. Let's drink from the cup as a reminder that in Jesus, God has forgiven all of our sins, iniquities, and transgressions, covering over them with the blood of Jesus. Jesus. 